0: Hello, welcome to the Four Pillars podcast. I'm here. Uh, my name is Monico Perez. Joined my best friend, co-founder, buddy, business partner, Marcus Seda, and uh, I know today you're going to be. This is one of those where you just kind of wind them up and let them go uh, because nice. we're going <laughs> to we're going to be talking about legendary for people that are listening outside of the U.S. Uh, college football for Whoa. Alabama. Whoa. He went ahead and uh, he called it retirement, uh, Mr. Nick Saban. Yeah. And obviously, we've heard, you know, over the past couple of years, you use a lot of his teachings, a lot of his, um, you know, just a lot of the stuff that he uses to, to, I mean, literally coach one of the most successful. I don't want to say teams, empires. I don't know what you want to call it. It's but a dynasty. Yeah, it's yeah. a dynasty that he's had, and you know, recently I even saw broke down and watched one of his interviews they did where his whole thing is about leaving a legacy. Yeah. And that I, one thing I thought was cool was that he says that he's still going to maintain an office at campus yep. and he's going to allow students to come in and ask him, you know, like hey man, what do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do there? Should I yep. go with this team or even studies which yeah. he's like, you know, as far as legacy goes, it's not about, you know, on the field, it's about creating young men that will serve better uh, you know, out in society, which I think that's very cool. So,
1: yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thank God I'm wearing my Alabama hat. (laughs) And, um, should have told you to wear something different. You know, I made, when he retired, it rocked me. I mean, first of all, I know a lot of you guys don't follow American football. Um, so in college he's the all time greatest, meaning he's won more national championships than any other coach Mm -hmm. by the numbers. He's undeniably the best. And, um, you know, we lost our last game of the year in the playoffs. It was a really intense season, and we lost a game that we very much could have won. So that was heartbreaking. I mean, that was was hard. But three days later, he retired, which was like, you know, God love him, like, he deserves, he's 71 or 72, he deserves to retire and relax and enjoy his life. But as a fan, it was like, oh my God. It's like
0: you lost and now boom, the kicker. Yeah. Yeah, Nobody was expecting that. At least, you
1: know. Well, yeah, there were a few signs. I get it. But yeah, honestly, I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought he'd come back at least one more year. So um, the thing about Why I talk about him, or the reason why I I was so drawn to him is, you know, when I first became a sports fan, when I was seven, eight years old, baseball was in my face. I was right by where the New York Yankees are, and my dad was a baseball guy, but I started watching football on TV, and what got me about football was the coach the legendary coach named vince lombardi right everything was vince lombardi vince Uh, lombardi vince lombardi and the thing about it is vince lombardi also wrote books and he used to work with corporations and again teach his principles and he used to teach his players like uh, you know god first family second in the team football your career third and he just really focused, like what you're saying about Sabin, on teaching them to be great men as well as great football players, yeah. and. If you don't follow pro football, they name the trophy. Like when you win the Super Bowl every year, you get the Vince Lombardi trophy. So Vince Lombardi passed away a couple years after that. And, you know, to me, although there have been good coaches, there was never another Vince Lombardi until Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. To me, it was the same thing because, again, he was so focused on helping these young men become great men, you know, great human beings. So um, I love following his teaching and his main thing was the process. Mm. That's what he called it, the process. So in other words, you as a player, you're part of a team, but you basically do your job. You need to do your job to the highest level you possibly can every single time, every day, on every play. And if you do your job to the best of your ability on every play and the guy next to you does it and the guy next to you does it. And here's the other part. If you're not doing it for your own personal glory, but instead of me playing for me, I'm playing for you. Hmm. If you're the guy playing next to me, I'm not doing this because I want to make me I want to make sure I'm honoring you. And you're doing it because you're honoring me. So he taught all these great principles of teamwork. But one of my favorite things when I first started really watching him as a coach, Alabama regularly would beat teams by a lot. So, you know, they're killing some team. And there's like literally a minute left in the game. And I mean... You know, you got the backup players in and yeah. and like they would, something would happen and you would see Saban on the sideline losing his oh, mind, yeah. like screaming. He's and passionate. Yelled, and he... Oh, <laughs> going, like busting a vein in yeah. his neck. He was so upset because it it didn't matter what the score was. It didn't matter when in the game it was. That guy wasn't following the process. right? He wasn't doing his job on that play because yeah. his whole deal is, ultimately, we will win the game if each person does their job on every play or as many plays as humanly possible. So again, you look at what he did. I mean, he won more national championships. Um, There are more Alabama players in professional uh, football now than anything else. I just read something where, as of today, the players who played under him at Alabama in the NFL have earned over $2 billion in earnings. So, again, it's like you talk about win-win situations. A lot of leaders create win-lose situations Mm -hmm. with their team or I win first, and you're just then, really here for me to use you to win. Right. But I think that's why so many young guys, because if you don't understand college football, college football, the players can choose where they want to go. Yeah, And they're being courted by all the biggest programs, but consistently year after year after year for almost 15 years – Saban would have the number one recruiting class. More of the great young players wanted to go there because they could see the fruits of his labor. But in the Bible, it says, by the fruits, you should know them. Well, guess what? Saban had more first-round draft picks who made more money at the next level. So he really did care what was in the best interest of the player. But here's another, and this might sound like ironic, so imagine your your son Mm -hmm. No, you don't have a son yet, you have daughters, but right. let's say you have a son and your son wants to play and comes to me as the coach. And I said, I'm going to do everything I can do to help your son reach his full potential, make it in the NFL. But then the other thing is you say, but I can't guarantee that he'll start. Like, in other words, there's no guarantees. Like, we have the best players from all over the country. I guarantee you we'll give him every opportunity and we'll guide him as best we can. Right. And see, that's where I see so many people. They want assurances. They want guarantees. But what really makes people reach their highest potential is competition. Right. You know, you've heard me say this from stage. Like, you know, you're jogging in your neighborhood. You're just trying to lose a couple pounds, stay in shape. You know, day in, day out. And then all of a sudden, one day, your neighbor comes out and starts running. And they run faster than you (laughs) go blown by you. And it's like it's human nature to go, well, I'm going to go faster. You know, I don't want to... I want to go faster than him or at least not get left behind. And it's the same thing. Like, if you're running an organization and you're not challenging your players, if you're not putting them in competition on a regular basis, then you're not doing them any favors. You know what I mean? So he had a very competitive team. He insisted on excellence from them day in, day out, no days off. You know, Uh one of my favorite quotes by him is, at mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like mediocre people. Right. So it's true though. I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, that's why, you know, a lot of times, you know, I came from nothing. I'm, I'm if you will, a self-made guy, I had a lot of help along the way, but you know, I'm a first generation millionaire in my family mm-hmm. and you people gave me the information, but I'm the one who had to go out and, and make it happen. It was, you know, ultimately it was up to me.
0: Yeah. So initially it was just, it was just you, you were the one doing the work out there.
1: Yeah. So again, I'm not saying that at all to glorify myself. All I'm saying was I had to do the hard work to make it happen. So I had a certain mindset that I was not going to be mediocre. I was not going to be average. I was going to be a high achiever. You know what I'm saying? And when you get to that elevated state of thinking, when you won't make excuses, I know in a previous episode, we talked about excuses. You have an excuse or result. That's not how I was brought up to think. The way I was brought up to think is I did, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I looked at the example my mom and dad said, I love them, but they were not high achievers. They were more mediocre people. You know what I mean? So- I found someone who was a high achiever, and he set an incredible pace, and I followed that pace. But I definitely understand because once you become a high achiever, I'm not going to say I don't like mediocre people, but I don't like them on my team. Yeah. I I don't want mediocre people on my team. I want people who are passionate about doing what they're doing. Right on my team. To me, I think that's just really important. So let me get to the whole point I was trying to make. When I was self-made and I finally made and I got to the top of the mountain, I went from something to nothing and I got up to the top of the mountain, I really thought everyone was going to be cheering for me, (laughs) meaning friends, family, people. And the truth is because a lot of them were mediocre people. They weren't cheering. They didn't like it that I got there. You know what I mean? So it's true. So here's the thing. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to want to hang out with you. You're going to piss people off. So do it. I remember, I don't know the exact quote, but Eleanor Roosevelt, who was the first lady, you know, the wife of president of the United States, she said, do what's in your heart because people are going to criticize whatever you do anyway. Right. So I got to the top of the mountain. But it was a little bit of a, a, a demotivation time because I didn't understand. That you thought that
0: everyone was going to be like, mediocre awesome, people, you yeah. did it, bro.
1: But that one, Sabin said that quote, it just made sense to me. So anyway, let me transition. Yeah. I've got a list here. There was so much stuff on social media about Saban once yeah. this all came out. Um, but here it is. So... He became the head coach at Alabama in 2007, but he was actually, he won a national championship at a different school, LSU, in 2004, right? Right. So, okay. That's when his greatness really, really, really started. But he was an assistant coach starting in 1973. So he was at a place called Kent State as a graduate assistant for three years, Then he went to Syracuse for one year, and he was a linebacker coach. Then he went to West Virginia for three years, and he was a defensive back coach. Then he went to Ohio State for two years, and he was a coach. Then he went to Naval Academy for one year, and he was a coach. Then he went to Michigan State. So he was a defensive back coach there. Then he went for a couple of years. Then he went to the Houston Oilers and the NFL assistant coach. He finally became a head coach in 1990. So that's almost 20 years later. And he went to the incredible – he was a head coach at the University of Toledo, (laughs) which if you're not from the United States, that's not a big-time program. So it took him 20 years to get a chance to be a head coach. Now, how many people are doing whatever you're doing for – a year and a half and you're like ah yeah. this is a bunch of it. Does it's like I say it all the time nothing of true greatness comes quickly or right. easily so this guy paid the price everyone wants to get to where they're going without paying the price now along the way he was learning you yeah. know what I mean he was becoming who he was but if he'd have gotten a head coaching job in 1973 he probably would have failed yeah. because he needed to be around other successful mentors right. but then he was at Toledo For a year, then he went again into the NFL as an assistant. He finally became a head coach at a big program in 1996 called Michigan State. He won enough there to go to LSU. Then he had a little stint in the pros again with Miami, and then he ended up at Alabama. And again, guys, even as a head coach, he wasn't super successful every place he went, right? But when he finally decided that this is my place, this is going to be where I plant my flag. All those years of experience came to you know to make him what most people consider the greatest coach of yeah. all time. But my point I'm trying to make it was what thirty years later or forty years later before he finally went from his first job to being the head coach at Alabama. Yeah, that's crazy. It really is like, and I'm just saying that's <laughs> I mean, what to kind be of at drives it me crazy. Forty years, people just don't want to pay the price. Yeah,
0: I'm sure you've got more. I mean obviously 40 years to finally make it, you know, as a a head coach and stuff. I mean, what (laughs) what other stuff do you have from?
1: Well, I mean, here, there's a couple more things I think that are relevant. I know we, you know, only have so much time. So here's what I see in business a lot. You know what I mean? Especially if you're team building. Again, he was building, we just called it a dynasty. Right. So a dynasty is a sports term for when you have consistent success over a significant period of time. So what happens is I don't care if you're talking pro or college sports, if you have a winning team for one or two seasons because you have a couple of great players who are in their prime and everything's working out, but then those players get injured or they retire or they get traded or whatever. Then all of a sudden your team goes back to being average. That's the opposite of a dynasty. Right. you know. So what I think a lot of people, they get involved. I've seen this so much over the years. People in network marketing or whatever uh, line of business they're in building teams. And I'm guiding them and coaching them. And they work hard and they have success let's say they win a championship they mm-hmm. have a really really good year awesome then the next year they don't leverage that success right and that is the only way to build a dynasty so for example In football, Nick Saban won a championship, and he had a bunch of the players on that team that ended up going to the pro league, what's called the NFL, and making big contracts. So the next year, he was really good about going to potential incoming players and going, hey, guys, we're building something special. Last year, we put six guys into the NFL. But this year, our goal is to put 10. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You could be a part of that. And then every year, the success they had, he did. Listen, I was very, very lucky. Uh, There's an incredible gentleman who works for the team in the ministry. He, you know, ministers to the football team. Mm -hmm. And his Scotty, he was nice enough to give me a private tour of the facility. And I'm telling you, like... From a marketing perspective, I'm saying if I'm an 18 year old kid and I'm going through this facility, the way they have it set up, all the championship trophies, all the jerseys of the players who got drafted in the first round and made gigantic contracts, just everything in that building, it just, I'm saying he leveraged his success. To the highest level he possibly could. So what does it mean to you in your business? If I've gone out and I recruit Monaco and I help Monaco become a $400,000 a year earner, what I've got to do is go to the new people that are coming in and go, hey, I'm really happy to have you on the team. Listen, the last guy who came in and really bought into the system and did what I said right. last year, look at what he did. And I think you can become as good or better than him yeah. and keep leveraging the success of the people you have. I think he did that amazingly well. Right. And the other thing is I remember uh, uh, in business, there's a guy named Jack Walsh. Uh, who was, you know, very big in the uh, American corporate America. And uh, he wrote a book on leadership. And in leadership, you know, he said in the beginning, it's about you being the best you could be. So go back to what I was saying, you know, all those years Saban was a head coach or a sorry a non-head coach an assistant coach he was getting better learning more getting better learning more getting better learning working on himself being the best that he could be but then when he got to Alabama again any team thing it's a team thing it's not an individual thing so I don't care he'll be the first one to tell you everyone gives him credit but he had so many great assistant coaches that worked with him Mm -hmm. at Alabama Mm -hmm. and now you You know, Kirby Smart is a head coach who's won some national championships. And if you look at what they call his coaching tree, all the coaches that worked underneath him in Alabama, they are either in other colleges or in the pros making five, eight, ten million dollars a year being their own successful coaches. So I gotta tell you for me, I wanna really pause and sit on that for a minute because at Life Mastery that's a lot of what we're here to do. Yeah, you know, for me personally, I know that I'm a good speaker and a trainer. I know I am, and I, you know, I work hard on being even better. Right. But the point is, I know that through our system, you know, we want to attract people who want to be a part of our community, who want to take their speaking to another level. You know, we were on a, a Zoom earlier today with a gentleman who's, you know, part of our our ecosystem yeah. and he told us point blank I'm going to come in I'm going to bring people to the events right. I love the energy I love being around you guys but yeah. most thing I'm a, that's big to me is I want to work on my speaking I want yep. you to help me get on really big stages I'm like man nothing could be right. better so when I look at my speaking tree if you will nothing's going to make me more proud I can tell you this there's certainly been events over the year that we've done together And, you know, I I just, it felt incredible to know that you impacted an audience and know that you executed at a a really high level. But I can tell you the feeling of satisfaction looking now at people who have gone on to be as good or better than me, in my opinion. Yeah. That, to me that's unbelievable right. and that's another thing sabin's been great at you know what i mean so again that go back to the jack walsh thing the first stage of leadership is you being the best you can be the mm-hmm. second stage is empowering as many other people right to be the best they can be. So yes, at Life Mastery, I wanna create an army of amazing speakers. You know what I mean? Obviously, I know my partners are all very good as it is, and we already have people in the community that are already really good, but we wanna help you become elite, like one of the greatest in the world, because whenever we're doing one of our events, my goal is no matter who's on stage, The audience is just blown away. You know, I mean, not only by the information that they're sharing, but also with the skill set by which they're sharing it. The way they're keeping the audience in the palm of their hand, they're keeping them entertained, they're educating them, all that kind of good stuff. But no matter what organization you're doing, just always remember if you pour into other people, because a lot of people don't. You know, I mean, Sabin could have been afraid that if he taught all of his assistants everything he knew. They might leave, and right. that's what's called the scarcity mindset. Yeah. You know what I mean? But instead, he gave them everything he could, and they did leave. Yeah. And that's the what way to say system... some did
0: leave, and I'm sure he appreciates that more because now he's got like, okay, let's see how well I taught him. The let's competition. Go. <laughs> we <laughs> let's talked go, about baby. competition earlier. Yeah. Like
1: you're you're a Texas fan. Yeah. Your head coach guy named Steve Sartesian. What an incredible story. So Steve Sartesian, one of the most brilliant offensive minds in all of football, pro or college. He went to be the head coach at a school. He ended up having an issue with substance abuse. And he he got, he lost his job. And nobody would hire him. Nobody. Even though... He had this incredible ability. Nick Saban hired him. He's also famous for this. And Sartesian said he got paid like $25,000 a year at the lowest, lowest level. He was picking up equipment before and after practice. So I admire Sartesian having the humility to do that after yeah. he was already the head coach somewhere, but also that Nick Saban was willing to give someone a second chance. You yeah. know, look, like maybe someone needs to hear that. Maybe there's someone right now that you could give him a second chance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Sartesian, not only did he make the best of it, he became our offensive coordinator after a while, helped us win a national championship. Yeah. But then he got his own job. You right. know what I mean? Now he's one of the highest paid coaches in the country he bought his team to the final four last yep. year and you know it looks like down the road you guys probably will win a championship even so it Sounds breaks like my he heart might
0: be a Sartesian fan I, now.
1: I love Sartesian <laughs> I was again that's the hard thing about when a, when one of your family goes somewhere else but it was in his best interest so how yeah. do you not root for someone I'll get you a longhorn's hat Don't do that. I don't want a (laughs) Longhorn's hat. You know, I really want to get your daughter. When his daughter was very young, I got her an Alabama (laughs) cheerleading thing, and she used to wear it, and she used to leave me messages. Roll Tide. That's what they say at Alabama, Nick Saban. Roll Tide. So anyway, I know we're going on, on, on. I hope you're getting – this is not for me to be a fangirl about Nick Saban and to just be a fan. No, I mean, it's a lot of of great stuff. stuff.
0: Yeah, well, one thing I was going to say is – even And I'm glad you touched on it because it was like, okay, let's just say I started a business on my own and I don't have a team. I don't have a support system and it's just me, but you address that. Then you go out there and you just
1: do it. You do. Yeah. You know? Got to be the best you can. You. That's right. where you're in that first stage where you're working on you being right. the best you possibly can. But again, that's some people never get above that. That's the highest they raise to. And that's not bad. Listen, if you, on a scale of one to ten, you're a four and you become a nine, and that's all that ever happens, yeah, that's better that's than awesome. going through life as a four. Right. But if you can be a nine or a ten and help many other people become nines and tens, people don't understand that's how you make a lot more money. You know, I remember the first time I heard that J. Paul Getty quote. If you don't know Jay Paul Getty My understanding is he came to America. I believe he was the first recorded billionaire. I may be wrong, but he was one of the first. Right. And he came here, I believe, from Scotland with like less than one US dollar in his pocket and went on to become a billionaire. I mean, over 100 years ago. Think about the kind of money that is. But his famous quote is, it's better to make 1% off the efforts of 100 people instead of 100% of your own efforts. Right. So that, to me, is so big. You know, a Harry Dent, one of the top economists, I'll never forget. He's like, look, 80% of all the millionaires in the world have one thing in common. It's not they're male or female. It's not they have a college degree or not. It's not that they're in a certain age group. 80% of all millionaires own their own business. They're independent contractors. They make money off other people's efforts. Right. So that's really what it's all about. So today we talked about Nick Saban. To me, I think we talked about leadership. Yeah, we talked absolutely. about being a great leader. And let me tell you one last thing. We he was there uh, seventeen years, and they won the championship five times, six times. That means they lost more than they won. Right. So when all is said and done, but every single year they were 100 percent focused on winning the championship there were no moral victories either we win or it's a disappointing season so again i I think people if you raise your level of expectation and you just say you know what someone's going to win the championship why not us right yeah it's really funny go back to my network marketing roots I found this out years ago that when the Orlando Magic were a new team, that's an NBA basketball team, mm-hmm. um, they put in their locker room that every time when they went to their first playoff series. This one when Shaquille O'Neal was very young right. and he was their star player. They had a really good team. And there was something on the locker room, um, is the story I heard, was said, why not us, why not now? and the, ironically people probably don't know this the guy who owned the Orlando Magic was the owner of Amway one of the oh, two wow. owners of Amway uh, his name was Rich DeVos and that was their slogan yeah. Amway who is a you know does 8-10 billion dollars a year in sales for decades yeah. you know a lot of people go Amway doesn't work wow if it doesn't work <laughs> it sure doesn't work well yeah. and Rich DeVos taught his people you know the average people like you and me say why not you Why not now? Right. So, again, let's just leave with that. Like, somebody's going to win the championship. Someone's going to be the number one producer in your company. So, why not you? Why not now? Raise your level of expectation and then go back to what we said we did in an earlier podcast about hitting your goals. Well... Every year, Saban tried to win the championship. That was their goal. But it, remember the last thought. It's the process. Do your job right. to the best of your ability today. Right. His, another thing he always taught the players is be where your feet are. Mm-hmm. Meaning, don't be here and be thinking and about something else. else. Right. Be in the moment. Yeah. Forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about what's going to happen tomorrow. Live in the moment. Do your job right now. Surround your people with other people who buy in that philosophy. And remember, play for the teammate next to you. Play for the people underneath you. And if you get that together and you create that kind of a culture, then literally there's no reason for you not to win the championship and whatever arena you're playing in so awesome bro dude thank you great bro. stuff I, I didn't expect now this. you got it off your this chest. is all the off the top of my head roll tide we guys now, come on say it for me give I'll me a say
0: roll tide all right that's now cool. now here's a big question everyone's wondering and we may leave this for the next show sure what if he becomes dallas cowboys head coach
1: there's no nope. chance of that happening but if, <laughs> we need uh, someone yeah I know. we need somebody desperately yeah, the, the cowboys that was one <laughs> okay of the worst that's, that's the enough that's enough thank football. you guys for yeah. watching <laughs> all right next time guys. we'll see
0: you next time thank you